in the footsteps of Jesus from down under. This is Nikrita, your host. Welcome to the program. I'm very happy to be with you again. And I'm very pleased to have with me my guest, which I was looking forward for uh, this opportunity to catch up with uh, Julian Archer. Julian, welcome to our program. Thank you very much, Nick. It's great to be here. Look, you are in Adelaide for uh, a big camp, uh, opportunity to speak to a large community of Adventist people here in South Australia. Yeah. And we are in um, Borosa Valley, a beautiful place. It is, know? it is. I've just been for a tour around this afternoon. It's stunning. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I don't want to miss this opportunity to, to have a, a bit of a chat with you and to find out from you, Julian, uh, your story, your walk with Jesus. But just before we go into your story, I would like, if you don't mind, to share a bit of your background with us. Sure. Yeah, look, happy to, Nick. Uh, I guess all of our backgrounds start with our parents and, and probably even our grandparents. But my, uh, my father uh, grew up in Brisbane. And he, uh, as a child, would go to church eight times a week. In a busy week, they would go 11 times. Uh, and that, that's, you know, might be good for your, for your spirituality or something, I guess. But uh, as a young boy, he took that pretty hard. And he struggled with it, and he got into a lot of trouble at school. And uh, he was also the family, uh, the, he was like the homebrew kid. He made the beer for the family and the extended family, and he was drinking too much. And... And it wasn't good. And by the age of 14, he, he couldn't find any way of getting out of going to church. And so he decided the only way that he could stop going to church would be if the church was destroyed. And so he went to his uncle's farm and he got some gelignite and some fuses and he took them home and he hid them. And he went to school that day and he said to his friend, tonight I am going to blow up my church. I'm going to destroy it. And he the friend then went to the principal and, and told the principal and the principal told the police and the police came and took him away and uh, sure enough he was going to blow up his church that night and he uh, soon after that he, he left home and uh, got into a lot of trouble and things but he, he became what we would call today a serial entrepreneur so he opened a lot of businesses and by he met my mother and we and had my sister and myself as young children and by the age of 25, they were running five businesses that they had started from scratch, hmm. uh, just one after the other, bodybuilding, manufacturing business, two gymnasiums, a health food store, a refrigeration business. Uh, so business was in his blood. It's, it's just something that he, he and mum did naturally. But then they had to make a choice in the 70s between uh, business and marriage because their marriage was absolutely hell. They were working 18 hours a day. They were hardly seeing each other. Uh, they were really in trouble from a relationship point of view. And I thank, thank God that they chose marriage over mm. business. And uh, we, we moved out of the bush and uh, in the mid-70s became hippies. And uh, we were a little bit late because 60s was the hippies era, you know. Yes. And, uh, but we were out there in the, in the 70s and, you know, growing up barefoot, not wearing many clothes, uh, a lot of the time not wearing any clothes, you know. <laughs> we lived right out in the bush, so no one... No one was there we had no neighbors or anything you know so it was a, it was a very uh, 
free and easy sort of a life. But we were trying to grow our own food and all that, so that was hard work as well. Mm. Uh, but that, that was the background, yeah. Just uh, that, That's sort of how I came came to the world through this barefoot Australian mm. kid out in the bush. Yeah. And, and Julian, just um, as you shared uh, a bit of background with your parents also, you kind of follow in the footsteps of uh, your father or in business-wise, did you? Yeah, so we all we were sort of always in family business together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from when from when I was uh, born in, into business, uh, I, w- I then went away when I was older and became did a degree in in teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but the thing was, I graduated from teaching on a Sunday and went back to business on Monday. So, so I used some teaching in in that degree, but uh, sorry, in the in the in business, but. It was just always business. It was always in our blood. And so I was in business with mum and dad. And by this stage, we were in the olive industry. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we were growing olive trees. We were selling, importing and selling olive equipment. We were running tours in the olive industry. We had an olive industry magazine, a consulting business. So it was all about the olive industry. And this was in the 90s when the olive industry in Australia was growing very rapidly. Mm. Uh, And so, yeah, we were all in it together. I mean, if I ask you, how how is that to be retired in your 30s, you know, just read something, uh, uh, a <laughs> couple of lines about uh, your background. And can you explain that? Or, I mean, uh, how you'll explain yeah. being <laughs> retired yeah. in your in, 30s? In my 30s, yeah. You know, the funny thing is I had a goal to retire at 30. I wanted to be <laughs> retired at 30. Uh, but we got busy. We spent five years doing humanitarian service overseas. And so that sort of didn't help with getting ready for retirement and so then I changed my goal I said I want to retire in my 30s okay and uh, and so yeah the the businesses did very well and we were very blessed um, and we were, yeah I was able to retire in my 30s which for me you know retirement is is certainly not about just going and sitting back and and just relaxing it's I, I say I don't retire I retread so okay. it's just a, a change of direction. But that's what I thought man, maybe when uh, when I look at that, uh, uh, because you are now focusing uh, on something else, mm. probably even far more important than uh, what we were doing before. Yeah. Uh, you are traveling around and sharing uh, with people amazing things about Almighty God, you know, yeah. and you are a um, spiritual uh, presenter going around and you have also some books uh, written sure yeah and but just before we go probably and mention during our program about these things i would like to share with us if you could how did you meet god yeah okay well initially uh my my parents uh back in the late 70s they had a health food store so this is why we were hippies doing the doing the hippie thing and i and and they would go into this health food store, mum or dad, every day uh, to work in the store. But every day a man would come in. His name was Harry Walker. And he would come into the shop and he would buy one loaf of bread. When he was in there, he would ask my mum or my dad, you know, how are you going? How are the children? Dad was building a home at the house. The house building going? Just uh, building a friendship with them. And then he started to invite them along to some community programs, uh, different things. Well, one was about how the Egyptians built the pyramids mm-hmm. and uh, then uh, healthy cooking programs, different things in the community. And we got to meet some wonderful people um, who, who we later found out were Christians. Now, my, as, as I've already said, my father, he'd, he'd had enough church in his childhood for an entire lifetime. And so he had no interest in God, no interest in church. But built a very close friendship with this man Harry Walker mm. and uh, and Harry then 
through that process, invited them along to church, and we were a pretty interesting group. We, when we walked into church, you know, we were hippies. Dad had a long beard. I had long hair down my back. Uh, Mum would have been wearing some sort of a, a paisley number, you know, from, mm-hmm. from the, the hippie days. We were all barefoot. Um, we would buy all of our groceries on Saturday morning down at the local shop and put it in, in beer cartons because they were the only cartons that we had. Mm-hmm. And we would carry our beer cartons of groceries into church because our car wouldn't lock and we couldn't leave the groceries in the car and put them all underneath the seats in church and then sit down on top of them and, and listen. Uh, we, we were a different sort of... We weren't your everyday sort of people in church, but, but you know, they, those people... They could have said a lot to us about how we were different. Hey, you need to change this. You need to change that. That's not right what you're doing. But they just loved us. Mm. They just loved us. And that's how we, we met Jesus at that stage. And, uh, and changes came. Changes mm-hmm. came as, as we started to look around and, and to learn some of the things about how to live a, a life like Jesus. Those changes came. And uh, and then later on, I was I was converted uh, later in life. But that's mm. that's how we beca- that's uh, I guess that's how I became involved in Christianity. Mm-hmm. But my conversion came came later. Later on. on. Yeah. And would you be able just to share with us when you personally uh, met Jesus and yeah. what was the impact in your life? Yeah. So it happened uh, it, at two different times actually. When I was about 18, I gave my heart to Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then got busy in business. And business has an interesting way sometimes, not always, but sometimes uh, the businesses that we were involved in grew very fast. Mm-hmm. They were growing 70% every year, year after year after mm. year. Uh, there, there was m- more money than we knew what to do with. There, there was success. We were exporting to 25 countries around the world with a, uh, our product. And over that time, we were just busy, busy, busy. And over that time, I lost my, my love for, for my first love mm-hmm. for, for Christ. Uh, and so I was actually converted again uh, later in life. And it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that this, and of course now as I, as I travel around, I speak about faith and finance and the relationship between faith and, and, and money or affluence and spirituality. Yeah. Um, it's something that doesn't just affect individuals, it affects entire nations. And if we look at the richest nations in the world today, many of them are also the most secular nations, mm-hmm. the most godless. They have no interest in religion anymore. Uh, but if we look at, the, say, the, say, the top 10 richest nations in the world, uh, as far as the richest adults in the world in those nations, all 10 of the top 10 nations were founded on Christianity. So they all started on Christian principles. They built their laws around God's laws. And God blessed them because there was trust in their society so they could do business with each other. They could sign contracts and believe that the other person was going to be a good, faithful person to that contract. And God blessed those societies and they became very wealthy. But the wealthier they got, the less they were interested in Mm -hmm. God. And that's what was happening in my heart as well. And so I was then converted again during that business time because mm-hmm. I just said, Lord, I, I'm going the wrong way here. Please change my heart. All during this time you were kind of like, uh, I believe, uh, because you knew, you know, from childhood, you know, you know about God, but uh, the business of life and the success in life just yeah. drifted you away from a re- closer relationship with God. Yeah. But I believe that um, God wouldn't give up on you. Yes, And that's he right. was following <laughs> you. Uh, and how, how did you come to to realize and to come back to God and to say, look, I think I'm wasting my time. I, I need to do something else. 
Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. How how that happen? Yeah, well, we um, we were in our twelfth business um, at the time. It was doing extremely well. Uh, the business was growing very fast, and my my parents were looking at retiring. Uh, and they wanted to know whether I wanted to continue with the business, and I, I didn't see myself in business uh, a number of years from there. And one of the reasons that I didn't see myself in business in the in the future of at that time was because I knew what it was doing to my heart, to my relationship with God. And so um, I was I was really fighting. I, I was struggling. I was you know spending my my morning study times in tears saying lord please help me please help me to sort out this faith versus finance battle how can i be uh, managing the gifts that you have given me without them affecting my heart uh, in fact it was mahatma gandhi who said that when financial stability is secured spiritual bankruptcy is assured wow. <laughs> so he said when you become successful financially you will become spiritually bankrupt mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. But Jesus said a similar thing. You know, he said that when a, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Yeah. And this was it. And I was just struggling, saying, Lord, please show me how I can, I can clean my heart of all these materialistic thoughts and, and, and desires and this sort of thing and be focused wholly on you and on serving people the way you want me to serve them. Mm. And... I came across a, a passage you know, in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27, and it was in that passage where I saw that God wants to give us a new heart. So I don't have to be battling all the time trying to clean my heart. He says, I just want to give you a new heart, a fresh heart, a pure heart. In fact, he says, I'll take your heart of stone, a selfish, proud heart, take that out of you and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that can love. And I accepted that. I said, Lord... I give up. I, I've, I've tried to do all this heart stuff myself. It hasn't worked. I want that heart, mm. and and that was it. That was my that was my conversion mm. again. And it was, mm. it was uh, Nick. It was the most, uh, the most painful, but most beautiful thing that's ever happened to me. Wow. It, it was incredible. As as God gave me that new heart, I had to turn away from a lot of things in my life that that had been really taking all my energy, all my focus, all my time. But he put me on a new path, mm. and it's just been fantastic. It's wow. been wonderful. That's yeah, great. Yeah. You know, because uh, as you explain, you know, about uh, success and uh, materialistic blessings, you know, mm. which is nothing wrong. We have in the Bible sure. a lot of examples yeah, yeah. with uh, rich people doing yeah great things. I yes. mean, just if we think about uh, you know Abraham, or we think about yeah, yeah. Uh, Lot, yeah, and so on. Uh, even in our days, you know, there are uh, people. Uh, rich people and have a heart for God. But mm. you mentioned something very interesting, that the richer you get, the more attacks will come mm. uh, directed to you, you know, to stop you to concentrate on God's plans with yeah. us. Because yeah. we live, particularly in these days, you know, the latest days of this earth, you know, mm. um, and the enemy, Satan, is uh, interested in... Uh, create some sort of problems, you know, just to keep us away mm, from God right. and from His work. Yeah. And now you have this opportunity to go around, you know, and to really encourage people mm. to treasure a relationship with God more than anything else yes. in life. Because yeah. we live in a very materialistic uh, yeah. society, you That's know. Right. And you, um, now, as I said, you wrote some books. 
many people today in Christendom, they will say, um, they will preach a prosperity gospel. Mm -hmm. yeah. How do you relate to, to this thing from your point of view as a businessman yeah. and uh, <laughs> knowing these things? Is that, yeah, yeah just, just develop yeah, a little bit sure. that uh, point. Yeah, look, the prosperity gospel um, is an interesting thing. And, and you mentioned Abraham. Remember Abraham? Greatly blessed. Huge flocks, great riches. But in Genesis we read God speaking to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I will bless you to be a blessing. So I'm not going to bless you so that you can be the richest guy in the land. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And Prosperity Gospel picks up on that and says, uh, yeah, there it is. You know, God, I want to pray that God will bless me more so that I can share it with more people. Amen. You know, mm. fantastic. That's, that's great. But the interesting thing is that money is not neutral. And this is what I found. That as God blessed me more, gave me more and more money, the money actually got a hold of my heart. And I, I wanted, you know, God, when God blessed me to increase my standard of giving, which is what he did for Abraham, I will bless you to increase your standard of giving. I used the blessings to increase my standard of living. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so it was, I took the blessings and actually turned them into a curse in my life. Mm -hmm. And that was where the challenge was. God wants to bless us. No question at all. He, he loves us. He wants to bless us. But how we respond to those blessings is where it gets dangerous, where it gets tricky. And I, I started to worship the gifts instead of the giver. Mm. And that affected my heart, reflected my, affected my relationship with Jesus. And uh, even though we were still giving to a whole lot of different humanitarian projects and church projects and mission and different things around the world, it was affecting my heart mm. where nobody else could see. Nobody else could see. Yep. You know, I was still very active in all these other things, but where nobody else could see, I knew that it, it was damaging my relationship with Jesus. I just recently read about um, a quite well-known motivational speaker, you know, which says something like that. I, I decided to stop using my private jets and all those things, you know, which are things which you can see. Yes. But beyond that, behind that thing, there are so many things which nobody can see what's in your heart exactly. and how that impacted you yes. and affects you. Exactly. That's an interesting point, Julian. Yeah. As you travel around and you come across with people, and I'm pretty sure that many will ask you questions like uh, this, you know, what's your understanding in regard to the, you know, relationship with God in the modern days and uh, as I mentioned a bit earlier, um, uh, materialistic uh, so tendencies. Say, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, we live in a, in a very materialistic world. Yeah, there's no question. And the challenge that, that I faced was that I was a Christian atheist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the way I define that is that I believed in God, but I trusted in money. Mm. Because God had given me money, and I began to trust in it instead of trusting in God and lost a lot of the power of, of that relationship. And so, yeah, when you live in a materialistic society, it's very easy to trust in money to, and, and to, to live for and, I would say, worship, even though it doesn't... We, we certainly don't think that we're worshipping our cars and our jobs and our holidays and our lifestyle. But if we look at how we spend our money, you know, they, they say that you can, you can tell where a person's heart is just by running through their bank statements because you can see where they've been spending their money. And if they've been spending their money on God, well, that's where their heart is. And, and Jesus himself said, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. 
Mm. And uh, and one of the challenges that I had is that I, as I would have one eye on my earthly treasures and the other eye on my heavenly treasures, and I was a cross-eyed Christian. So I, I my eyes were crossed, and when I tried to follow Jesus, I would stumble because I couldn't see straight. And what I really needed to be was a cross-eyed Christian with both eyes on the cross. But I had I had mixed... I was uh, my attention was divided so much between my earthly treasures and and heaven that I uh, I was really struggling as a mm. Christian. Referring to your book, help. Yeah. What prompted you to write that book? Mm. And can you share a little bit with us? Yeah, it, it wasn't meant to be a book. <laughs> All it was the the book ended up. It, it's called Help. I've been blessed. How to stop God's blessings from becoming curses. Uh, people go, what do you mean help you've been blessed? You know, don't we pray for blessings? Isn't that what we want? Well, that, yeah, that's what I thought. That's, I, I thought, well, that's what we, we all just want these blessings to be poured out. But uh, how did I come to that book? I was struggling in my own life to balance faith and finance. And I said, Lord, I've got to get this sorted out. Yeah, I, I've got to get this sorted out. And so I started to write down things that I had learned from God's Word, from life from society uh, from looking around at the world that are related to faith and finance mm. and i just started to write little lessons about things that i could i could teach teach myself to try and work out how to sort this thing out myself and i um i then as I, as i fin- finished sort of writing through all these different ideas and these little stories and lessons i thought you know i should leave this for my sons i have two sons mm-hmm. and i thought i should leave this for them so that they can learn and not make the mistakes that dad made uh and so i started to put it into sort of little stories like little chapters and then when i'd finished doing that i just felt convicted that i should turn this into a book and and i went no way there's no way i'm going to put this into a book because it's too personal mm-hmm. because it, it wasn't meant to be a book it was it was almost a journal yeah. of my journey uh around the world studying faith and finance and and the impacts that it was having on societies and on me and on on all sorts of things uh and so for two years i said no way this is not going to become a book but you know god kept saying julian you're not the only one struggling with Mm -hmm. this you're not the only one put it into a book and so finally the book got published and um, people started to read it and then they said oh julian you've got to come and talk at this conference or Mm -hmm. come and talk to this government meeting or or whatever about faith and finance affluence Mm -hmm. and spirituality Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. And Time is are. going so quick. Sure, uh, yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. Julian, and, but just uh, a little bit more in, uh, in, in regard to this. You um, point out about some warnings. You know, signs when people may worship God's blessings mm-hmm. rather than God himself. Mm. And you, you just pointed out uh, in your life how that uh, crept in, in, you know, in, mm. in your life and uh, the tendency to... To think that oh you know I'm blessed by God I'm following uh, God mm. but actually that can take us away from worshiping God Himself mm-hmm. and if you like in the next few minutes just before we close mm. just to send a message to our listeners mm. and to share with our listeners it will be that thing which you like to share in the last minutes we have yeah look um, I don't know how long we've got but you know to answer your first question. For me, the canary in the coal mine, which is the, it's the way of saying that the first thing that I notice in my life when I'm starting to head off track is that my morning time with Jesus is 
compressed, shortened, or even completely removed because I'm so busy. Mm. I'm so busy with life, with managing the blessings that he's given me that I just don't have the time for the morning worship. And that's, once I see that happening, I go, hey, hey, priorities. I've got to get back and spend that time with Jesus. Mm. Um, yeah, so, so that's, the, that, that's really what it comes down to for me. That's the first thing that, that I notice. Would you have a little story or something to share with us? We may have a, another five minutes to... You think we can do five minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Look, let, let me tell you a story. Um, again, about something that, that in my life showed me where my priorities were. And we were doing very well in business. God was blessing. The businesses were growing so fast. We had more money than we knew what to do with. In fact, we, we just didn't have time to manage the money that was coming in. It was, we were giving it away here and there to various charities and things. And, uh, but it was just coming in. God was just blessing, uh, you know, opening the storehouse of heaven, opening the windows of heaven. Mm. And, and, um, but we were living very frugally. We didn't spend a lot of money on ourselves. We didn't drive Ferraris or live in mansions or fly first class or you know, any of this sort of thing. But there was one thing, there was one thing that I really wanted, and that was a luxury watch. I wanted a watch, a really, really nice watch. And, and my excuse for wanting this watch was that because we were selling uh, our products in all around the world, I needed something to show people on the other side of the world that I was successful, that the business that I was representing was a successful business. Uh, and so I thought, well, if I had a luxury watch, and it wasn't a super expensive watch, it was a Tag Heuer. Uh, about two and a half thousand dollars and some people will say oh that's a lot of money for a watch but you know you, you can pay two hundred thousand dollars for a watch so for me it was a modest investment you know? <laughs> and so I I decided to buy a Tag Heuer watch so that when I was on the other side of the world doing business with someone across a table I could just sort of put my arm out in front and then put my watch out in front and they could see my watch and they go oh this must be a successful business you know this was my excuse and so I decided to buy this watch. Next time I was going through the international airport, duty-free, I, I went up to the counter to buy the watch. And I looked down and it was a beautiful Tag Heuer with a sapphire blue face and beautiful silver around the bezel, it's called, around the face and a beautiful watch band. It was a, it was a bit of a look-at-me watch, you know, mm. <laughs> one mm. of those ones. And uh, so I went to buy the watch, but I couldn't buy it because the... You know, we had just done, my wife and I had just done five years working for a humanitarian agency in Nepal, mm -hmm. uh, three years in Nepal and two years at the head office in Sydney. And I knew that for two and a half thousand dollars, you could change a family's life. Mm. And I just wanted to buy a little piece of plastic and metal to put on my wrist. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't justify spending that money on a watch. But I still really wanted a watch. <laughs> I still wanted this watch. And so I, I did a deal with God. I said, God, if... If our business profits go from this level to this level in the next 12 months, then I will take that as a sign from you that it's okay for me to go and spend just this little bit of money on a watch. And, you know, if, if God didn't want me to buy the watch, then he would stop the profits just $1 short of the mm. target, you know, mm. and then I would know, okay, God, that's, that's your sign. But God is a generous God, and, and the, he blessed the businesses, and the businesses grew right past that profit mark. And so I finally felt comfortable to go and buy my watch. So the next time I'm in the airport, I go to the airport, uh, to the duty-free, and I, I go to buy the watch. And I still can't do it. <laughs> I still can't buy it. And I'm like, ah, this is too hard. And I, I say, Lord, I really want this watch. I'm going to do another deal. And so I say, Lord, and I bring my wife in on it now, and, and I say, in the next... 12 months, we will give away 
to mission work, humanitarian projects around the world, whatever, we will give away the same amount of money that we earned all of last year. We will give it all away this year, the same amount, and then when I've given you this much, I'll be able to spend just this little bit on the watch. That was the deal. And so, uh, you know, 12 months went past and we were giving, finding different places to, to invest in, in God's work and help people around the world. And uh, at the end of that time, we had given away that same amount of money and it was like, now I can justify with a clean conscience to go and buy my little watch. And so I went and I went to buy the watch. I walked up to the counter, I looked down at the watch and I still couldn't buy it. Wow. <laughs> I still couldn't do it. And so I decided, well, I'm going to, I'm going to stop looking at the ads. I'm going to stop looking at the, the, you know, the ads in the magazines, the ones in the airport. When I go through the duty free section, I'm just going to put my head down and I'm just going to walk straight. And so I just won't be tempted to buy this watch, you know? And so I tried that and it didn't work. I still wanted the watch. And, uh, finally I said, Lord, I have tried everything to not want this watch. But I still really want it. But it's clear that your, your spirit, my conscience, is telling me not to buy this watch. So you're going to have to take this desire out of my life, mm. out of my heart. Mm. And so I prayed, please take it out of my heart. And I still wanted the watch. And I prayed more, please take it out of my heart. And I still wanted the watch. <laughs> One day it was flight QF, a Qantas flight, Qantas flight 97 from Brisbane to Hong Kong. I was going through the international duty-free section and something in my head said, Julian, go and look at your watch. And so I went over to look at my watch. I didn't want to. I thought, you know, I've, I've, been, I'd, I've been trying not to look at these watches for the last many months. But I decided I'm going to go and look at that watch. And I looked down at that watch and I saw it there and I had a big smile on my face. You know, the girl behind the counter must have thought I was a guaranteed sale because she's probably never seen somebody look at a watch and go, oh, look at that. But you know why, why I was so happy? I was so happy because I felt absolutely no desire for that watch anymore. It was gone. Wow. I had no interest in it. And I thank God that he took that desire out of my heart. And I went over to the side and I wrote a note in, there in the airport just thanking God for doing the miracle in my heart, for taking away that, that desire for something that he... I think it was like a little test mm. with God that God was giving me, saying, Julian, is your heart with me? Or with the watch mm. are you on my side or with the world you choose and uh, and I thank God that through his strength nothing that I did you, you saw everything I tried failed <laughs> mm. but through his strength he was able to change my heart yeah thank you for that story Julian and thank you very much for uh, being able to come with us a bit just share a bit of your story a bit of your journey walk with Jesus and may God bless you everywhere you go to share uh, about the blessings of God in your life with many other people Thank you very and, much, Nick. And to our listeners, I would just like to say, please just consider this, to give your heart to God, and He will change your desires. Yes. Until next time, may God bless you, and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.